And good afternoon. Welcome in. I am Ian Grant, and for the last 20 years, Todd C. Slater has been a contractor, one of Canada's top realtors, an educator, and founder and president of The Simple Investor. Todd, good afternoon. It is hard to believe that the X is underway. I know. <laughs> Goodbye, you know, summer. Opened up yesterday, yeah. you know, of course, and... You know, with the Pan Am gone, but now and then now the <laughs> traffic's going to be just as bad. You know, no, no relief in sight. How's so, the market? Some of the stats that were released for you know July and part of August already say that you know we're we're still strumming along. Yeah. July actually had a uh, had a decent solid outing. You know, up from last year, but we kind of expected that because uh, you know July wasn't again all that amazing last year. Mm-hmm. But you know, so we're still seeing some we're still seeing some really good numbers. Um, but you know, again, cautionary warning where everybody's saying, hey, this sky could fall very quickly in Toronto and a few other markets, um, you know, I was on, on earlier in the week with uh, a couple of our shows here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quite frankly, I think that um, people really have to stop the chicken little, uh, the chicken oh, little I stories. That, you know what? It's it's just so out of hand. And one of the things that they were targeting in this report was saying that, you know, they were looking more at the residential being the detached homes in Toronto. But then, you know, in, in, in the meantime, they're saying they're bolstering the idea that, you know, Vancouver, you know, it's just, you know, it's bulletproof because there's no inventory. And so, you know, my analysis of it is, is that, well, quite frankly, you know, when we look at the core of Toronto, there is no inventory either. Like, this is the problem. This is where we're struggling is that, you know, when you see these houses come up and we talk about multiple offers, which you experienced mm-hmm. yourself, you know, last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, what, what, where I struggle is how, how can you turn around and say the Vancouver market's bulletproof, but yet you're thinking That's the right. Toronto market's going to crash in the same avenue. So almost price range, you know, very similar, same demographic, you know, people buying into it, you know, almost the same amount of inventory available, but yet you're sitting there claiming this. Is it fair to suggest, though, that Vancouver, the the market is driven by a different mindset than it seems to be in Toronto? Well, you know, there's definitely a different mindset, and and they really do have, you know, the borders built in that they can't put anything more up. You know, in Toronto, you can buy a couple of properties, knock them down, put up a few more, that kind of thing. You know, we've got a little bit more space because we've got the suburbs, of course, and so Toronto keeps, you know, bleeding out a little bit farther into the Etobicoke areas, you know, and go a little bit north Mm -hmm. and things like that. But ultimately, in the end, you know, I think one of the things that most people are very concerned about is looking at Vancouver being the big foreign investment market. And of course, our, you know, our, our, our leader, Stephen Harper, is, is mentioning during some of his campaign speeches that perhaps they're going to start up a, a, you know, a task force that's going to look into foreign ownership here in Canada. And, you know, you know, they might limit them for the amount of money coming in. And, you know, I'd be the first person to say, okay, that's the biggest mistake you can really? make. Really? 100%. I don't have a problem with foreign ownership. What I would have a problem with is foreign profit. Okay, so why I say it that way is that if somebody is coming in and they're speculating, so they're going to do a flip, then tax the crap out of them. Okay, like seriously, if, if, if foreign investors are coming in and they're doing this short term, so they're, so they're speculators, if they're going to come in as speculators, then I agree that they should, you know, foreign ownership, tax them heavy. Mm-hmm. There's no wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. Allow them to come in because if they're coming in as cash buyers and they're holding, there's nothing wrong with ownership because that in itself is sustaining a marketplace. But it's the guys that are coming in and speculating, flipping and trying to take profit and running 
that's what I have the issue with. Yeah. And so I think I think what they have to do is they have to tax tax foreign ownership on the way out, on the exit. Isn't part of the problem, though, also that you're changing the fiber of a community when it is just, you know, these foreign-owned investment properties? All of a sudden, I mean, uh, you know, you read the reports. And that's why I'm saying Toronto is so different than Vancouver. You read reports of entire streets in Vancouver that have been bought up. The houses are sitting empty and have been now for a year and a half because they were bought as an investment property. Right. So when we look at that, they're 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 buying and waiting, and you know they're still paying the property taxes. Most of them are still upkeeping it because we're talking, you know, we're talking, you know, a much higher end mm-hmm. property. So it's not like they're now they're not becoming disheveled and it's becoming Detroit. You know, it, the truth is is that everything's being paid for, up kept, taken care of. Yeah, you know what? I think sometimes the the best neighbor is one that doesn't live there. <laughs> so you know, you know, they say na- they, they say fences make great neighbors, yeah. but you know what? Actually, no neighbors make better. Yeah, neighbors. exactly. You can have a beautiful house next door, yeah. and, and and all of a sudden that's an accessory. It's sort of like, look at my neighborhood. Look at my next door neighbor's house. You know, they take care of it and they don't live here. Fabulous. You know, that's not a bad thing when you look at it. No, it's not. But in Toronto, I get the sense, and I could be completely wrong, that people are buying here to live here. You know, the the family buys in Toronto and the family moves into Toronto, and they become part of that community yep. and they contribute to that community as opposed to. Well, just looking at it as a business property. You know, I, I would have to say I agree with you when we're talking about the single-family residential homes, the neighborhoods that are bolstered by schools, mm. and, 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 you know, it's a mentality. You know, again, we, we can cite all the great neighborhoods that everybody's jumping up and down for, but it's because people want to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, what you will see in part of the Toronto condominium market, though, you know, come down the Gardner at uh, midnight, and you'll see entire floors that are black. And it's because, oh, again, so, so your foreign ownership is strong in the condominium market, but not necessarily because you see these houses aren't finished. So the reason why, you know, we look at the Toronto market and, you know, in your situation, you know, and and we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, we're going to, you know, revisit what you went through. Mm -hmm. But ultimately in the end, what people do is they buy a house that needs some work and they turn around and they're, they're, you know, they put the money into it. They knock it down, they build a new house, but the foreign ownerships aren't doing that. They want to buy the, 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 the finished product and sit on it. So, you know, they'll buy the $3 million house out in Vancouver that's already had all the work done to it. It's the nice shiny penny. And they say, okay, let's sit on it because the market's going to go up. They're not the ones that are sitting there saying, hey, let's buy the disheveled, you know, 50 year old bungalow and we're going to wait on yeah, it yeah. and then we're going to try to flip it. And if they do come in to build, then they've got to pay for all the permits, the building, they're adding employment. So that, again, that's not a bad thing, but you're not seeing a lot of that in the Vancouver area. But if there's a majority of investment properties, doesn't that mean that when the market does take a bit of a downturn, people are going to panic and you'll see this huge influx? Well, hang on. You know, what, what, one, of the, one of the things that I think we have to understand when people talk about investment properties, and this is, this is where, you know, you need clarification. Investment properties properties, specula- speculative properties. There's two different That's ones. Fair. So, That's you good. know, people are speculating on this stuff. They're not investments. That's it's right. a speculation to make profit. Investment properties are the ones that they're going to stick a tenant in, or they're going to hang on to it for a period of time, long term, pay it down, you know, have some kind of result with mortgages and then take the appreciation. Mm-hmm. There is a difference. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing, you know, there are, some of this foreign ownership truly is for ownership. And, you know, again, we're talking about the Toronto condo market. You know, we're finding a lot of people they're buying they'll buy you know one or two units here because they're going to have children or they're going to have you know nieces and nephews that are going to come to school here because again listen we've got some great universities here in toronto so they look at it and say listen you know what we're going to send the kids over to get an education for four years and they're going to live here in the condo so we're going to buy it now because three years from now they're going to do it and you know we i've you know been on several shows with in in this regard and there's been some you know they're 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 
people that have you know uh, money and they're able to do it and they say listen why wouldn't i do this why wouldn't i turn around and provide my child with a place to go to university and at the right. same time i'm going to make some money it's kind of smart business it is it's a smart it's smart everything one of the interesting things though we're back in vancouver is that now you have an entire generation that have grown up with this influx and now the generation's children are realizing they can't afford to live in the city, they can't afford to live even in the narrow outskirts of the city. Well, agreed, and and this is this is where you know, and, and again, I'm a huge fan of Vancouver. Love BC. Spent a whole lot of time mm, out there. Really enjoyed it, and and you know, the interior is absolutely spectacular. There all there are outer cities and towns from Vancouver, of course, that you know the the city proper that you know you can easily live in, and then that creates a commute issue. And so again, what what is the draw to Vancouver? Why do people like being out there? There is a lifestyle that's to be had and you know these foreign investors that are coming in again i don't have a problem with foreign money what i do have a problem is foreign profit okay and again for for those people that are, that are listening to that it's from a speculation meaning you're just buying for an ends mean of a quick flip if you're buying for long term you know tenancy allow things to grow allowed to add to a system by all means i you know no question i think everybody that is a real estate investor can be profitable hmm. It's real estate speculators, which are the concern of the marketplaces, because these people are the ones, like you said, what happens if we have an adjustment in the market? Yeah. I was interested when Harper said about uh, looking at the offshore investment, only because really, there's maybe three, no, no there isn't, I can't think of two more. There's Vancouver, and then every, everywhere else in Canada is just going to shrug and say, what are, you, what are you worried about? When looking at the Toronto market, and you know, there's always, <laughs> I love the studies that they all come out with. So you've got you've got your TREB studies, then you have your CMHC studies, and then you have your MPAC studies, and you have mm. this study and that study. And you know, if you took a look at everybody's studies, you would expect it all to make sense and they all to be the same. Like you would say, you know, it was interesting because a few years ago, you know, you and I were on the show and we're saying, hey, how many people are investors buying these condos? And of course there was a, a, a you know, there was a, at that time, I, I think it was a CMHC report that came out that said, oh, there's only 10% of people that are buying these as an investment property. Hmm. And it was like, that was bull, you know, hmm. um, because you know, there was way more. In fact, I would say that, you know, based on some of the investors I talked to, we were in excess of 50% of the people that were buying were buying as investors. Okay, now again, not speculators, investors. Right. So they turn, they, they've rolled them over and they're rentals. But there was a, this whole idea of 10%. So a lot of these studies, I find that, you know, I don't know where the numbers come from because the hardcore facts is if you go to a building with 300 units, you knock on every single door and say owner or tenant, 50% of the people right. are going to say tenant. Yeah. Okay, and that's reality. It's interesting that uh, in Vancouver, I was reading an article last week where um, one of the associations was really upset at the label that Vancouver is getting because of all that, you know, the uh, the Asian offshore investment. Sure, of course. And then another group comes out uh, with the, the numbers, and I believe it was whatever the Vancouver Real Estate Board is, where 55 to 60% of the purchasing happening right now in Vancouver is coming from offshore, investment offshore investment investment in Asia. Sure. Yeah, yeah and, and that's also because, you know, you have to, you, you mentioned earlier, what about affordability? Who can afford, you know, two, three, four billion dollar properties? But, you know, it was interesting because this week, we, you know, I was, I was, you know, checking on some things and it, New York City, um, they had their first million dollar parking space in New York City. Not okay? surprised, So a yeah. parking space 
is $1 million. Now, on the average in, in you know, multiple buildings down there, they're $300,000 for parking. And people are saying Toronto's overpriced? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> we got to take a break. What do you want to talk about when we come back? Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about that situation in Vaughan that happened. Mm. And I want to talk about this homeowner. So. I'm Ian Grant. He is host of Simply Real Estate. He is also founder and president of The Simple Investor, Todd C. Slater. You can reach him at 905-812-2524 or check out his website, simpleinvestor.com. Welcome back. I'm Ian Grant. For the last 20 years, your host, Todd C. Slater, has been a contractor one of Canada's top realtors and educator and founder and president of The Simple Investor. Big story in the news uh, last week, Todd. You were on a couple of shows about uh, mold. Yeah, you know, it was interesting, Ian, because what happened was there was a, a, a homeowner in Vaughan, actually, and bought a house, and it was two years of age when he bought it. So he bought it from the original owner. And what ended up happening was that the house ended up getting overrun by mold in the attic. Mm. And when they took a look at it, they realized there was no insulation in the attic. So, of course, he decided that, well, you know, how do, how do I deal with this? So, goes to court against Terion, which Terion, of course, is the, the insurance for all builders, because when, when there's new construction in Ontario, just so you know, all builders must be registered with the Terion Corporation, which will then insure the, the defects of a builder, okay? And then, on top of that, there's always the builder's warranties. And prior to inspection, you have to have the city sign off for an occupancy, uh, permit. So in other words, when the city has to do a final inspection saying, okay, now, now somebody can live in this property. Hmm. So what happened was, so you look at it and say, okay, so three major players here right. missed the fact that there's no insulation in the, in the roof of this property. A few years later, all of a sudden the thing gets overrun with mold. Oh, yeah. The guy, the, the, unfortunately the family has to move out, still own the property, move out, lives in a basement apartment with his family and, his, and, and with his wife and his, his teenage son, and then has to pay for both. Now, he's been upkeeping it for the last four years that he's lived there, and he's run out of money, he's run out of funds to be able to fight the system, and pro- chances are he's going to lose the property. So it became, you know, it became very, very newsworthy, because who is responsible for these situations? That's a great question. And it was interesting, because on Jerry Agar's show, you know, um, I was talking about home inspections. One of our hosts here at uh, News Talk 1010, she decided to chime in, and I think we've got that clip. I was listening to your guest and yourself, and just like screaming in the car because I just went through this complete nightmare situation in my home and we did do a home inspection so we did everything as buyers that you're supposed to do to make sure you're covered only to not be covered by any of it and be very aware that home inspections make sure that they give themselves a big old out which is just generally in the fine print at about six months after you buy your house and live in it they're not responsible for anything that goes wrong and in our situation this was a builder defect which, by the way, insurance companies generally also don't cover. So not only did we find out that we had a house that was completely defectively built, we were on the hook for making sure it was fixed. And it was full of mold and full of problems, and it was a big nightmare. I would recommend to anyone buying a house, make sure that the house is a complete rebuild or brand, brand new, and make sure it's not an extensive renovation, which we learned after the fact was the problem in our house. The builder had built on an existing foundation and called it an extensive renovation, which then allows them to get cheaper permits through the city. I don't know how this house got built without uh, venting in the roof, which is a basic of a house, 
but the home inspector said he didn't see it and it got built and we got stuck with the problems. And that was Alex Pearson. Part of what I think in this situation, I have to be very careful with this, is that, you know, you do get what you pay for when it comes down to home inspections. And I also also make the same comment, and you and I have talked about this also with realtors. Everybody's a dime a dozen. It's just you want you want to get the one worth the loony. You know, your situation, right. I think we should reiterate because you were in a position, you know, as, as, as all our exactly listeners know. I had exactly the opposite experience to Alex. Yeah. But in all fairness, again, Alex and I are exactly equally qualified at hiring home inspectors. The best we can do is, you know, ask somebody and look at the price these the, the people pay. And the suggestion that I got off here was that this person that she hired was not cheap and they were supposed to know what they were doing. I was incredibly lucky as we talked last week. I had signed off. Everything was ready to go. We had the yep. checks ready. Yep. Everything. Home inspector came in and said, you don't want this place. Yep. There's mold all over the place. There's this, there's that, there's the next thing. Thank God. I mean, this guy saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's the thing that, you know, and, and what I will tell people is that depending on the size of the property, a home inspection, if it's done in an hour and a half or two hours, mm. and if the home inspector just does the, oh yeah, it's, it's clean, it's great. Unless you see him crawling into the attic, unless he is like pulling the furnace apart, which I, I don't mean from a self-destruction standpoint. <laughs> I mean like take off the panels, you know, get the lights in, take a look for any kind of cracks yeah. in, in, in any of the diffusers, anything like that. When when we talk about this kind of stuff, you do get what you pay for. Yeah, you know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I had a good recommendation. But let me interrupt. You don't get what you pay for. That's that, Again, I don't think that's fair. I mean, just because somebody charges 750 bucks doesn't make them a good inspector. No, it doesn't. But what I, when I say you, you get what you pay for is if you've done your research and you found a good home inspector, then you definitely get what you're good at. Mm-hmm. Because listen, I, I'm going to tell you, you and I both know, a decent agent charges a fair commission, but a, a real commission, mm-hmm. not not I'll do it for if you buy a house through me. <laughs> and then on top of that, you're going to deal with a home inspector. You know, if a home inspector turns around and he shows up and, you know, we've got a, you know, this this month we're $195 special, but, you know, oh, any, wow. anything over an hour and a half, I have to charge you more. Okay, if a home inspector starts talking to you about time where it's going to cost you more, then I would run. Okay, because that guy's just all about the money. Okay, finding out what the problem with the home. And now, again, in Alex's situation, a little bit different. You know, yours, you know, I definitely want to talk more about yours because you can take us through the, the, the process of what happened. But in Alex's situation, she was buying something that somebody had put an addition on, but basically it was like a brand new home, but you still had some of the old. Mm -hmm. So when you build, put old and new, there's no Terry on warranty. Okay. So the guys that put on the new part of the construction, they are not covered. They don't have to be. Okay. It's not, it's not mandated through the province of Ontario that you have to have a new home warranty on half the house. So they're not going to warranty the old part either. So, you know, if you had a, if you had an issue with the foundation out of the gate in the old home and you stick half a brand new home on the back of it, you still have the same issue. You know, and so that's the problem. So you have to take a look at the building permits. You have to find out who signed off on the, on the inspection because even when you do that kind of renovation, you still have to have an inspection. So the city still has to come out and inspect it. So if all of these issues were there, then you need to find out who signed off on the property in the first place. Hmm. Okay. And that's part of the problem. But now you're into the Markham situation where he's realized that even if he does find that out, it doesn't, I mean, the, well, the, he does, you he can't will have fight recourse. City Hall. Uh, well, you know, eventually there should be recourse. This, should ge- be. This, this, this gentleman and his family need to be compensated, no question. But, but they're not going to be by the sounds of I'll it. I'll tell you where where and this is this is truthfully where it will create a problem for him. 
in his offer, he had the opportunity to put a condition in of a home inspection right. in there, just like you did. Yeah. He did not. He chose not to. He said, he thought to himself, two years of age, not a problem. I don't need it. So by doing so, he's accepting the property as is. Mm-hmm. And there's where he might be in a situation where they can fight against him. Okay. Now, if his agent had turned around and said, you don't need it, and he had proof of the agent saying that, then they can recourse on the agent. If he turned around and put it in, because you see, when he bought it, he bought it back in 2004. We weren't huge on multiple offers right. back in 04. You know, there was some, but I'm pretty sure that it, well, he wasn't under due, you know, stressed to buy no. this thing, go firm and turn around in today's it. market. So ultimately, in the end, you know, this might have shot him in the foot, and it depends on where his advice came from. Got to take a quick break. When we come back, you want to talk a bit more about this? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about you. Let's talk about me, my favorite topic. <laughs> he, though, is host of Simply Real Estate. He is founder and president of The Simple Investor. He is Todd C. Slater. You want to reach him? Give him a shout. 905-812-2524. His website is thesimpleinvestor.com. I'm Ian Grant, and this is In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Welcome back to Simply Real Estate, and I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, and joining me is Ian Grant, Hello. new homeowner and recent catastrophe oh. avoider. Sorry, Ian, I wanted to do the, the intro this time because you know what? You know, our, our, our last segment, we were talking about the situation about home inspections, and I want people to understand how important this mm-hmm. is. And let's talk about your situation you and your wife had recently. You avoided a complete catastrophe. We were in the market for a house, and we found our dream house, and it was perfect, and everything was marvelous, and we got killed in the in the in the bidding thing. And then the real estate agent said, "You're going to find another dream house," and I'm like, "I can't. This is the one." Well, the next day we found our next dream house. It was perfect. <laughs> um, it was. It had been priced way too high. It was about sixty thousand over what it was really going to go for. So the uh, by sheer coincidence, we found out they were dropping the price by about fifty thousand. We went in. We looked around. We loved it. It had all the rooms we needed, all the space. Everything was great. We called the agent. Said, "This is the one. This is it. We found our dream house." And he's like, "I've heard that before." <laughs> Drop the papers, we're done. So we did that. Now, luckily, there was no bidding. We got in quickly. The other agent said, fine, done, shake hands, sign it off. So we signed off the papers. We gave them a deposit, and we said, that based on the, the home inspection, everything good, we're done. Thank you very much. Yeah. So that was a condition mm-hmm. in your offer. It was. Okay, conditional on home <laughs> inspection. We, we were lucky in that uh, we talked during the last couple of segments about home inspectors. We had one that the real estate... Uh, agent recommended um he was brilliant he was as you said he did all the stuff you're saying he went up into the attic he was crawling around up there he sent some little camera thing in through the furnace ducts uh he was doing the infrared thing in the walls anyway um we he came to us and said i got news for you and i said if it's bad i don't want to hear and he said it's not bad it's really bad (laughs) he said about two times a year I'll, i'll tell people walk away he said it's very rare that i will say this can't be fixed or whatever he said honest to god guys walk away yep i'm like well what's going going on and he points to the side the wood along the bottom of the floor and there you could see the mark where the water had had risen up to above the wood all along the floor there was uh, mold all over the place he's showing us cracks and pipes he's showing yep. us uh, stuff that we thought the house was perfect 
because you were looking at the superficial <laughs> aspect yeah. of it. You, you, you were, you were in your heaven. You know, oh and, my and, God. And, and it's funny because, you know, one one of the things that you know, if you ever watch, you know, women walk by uh, jewelry stores, and I'm sorry, but this is one of those comments is look at the shiny things. Well, you know, you walk into a house, and that happens. You know, husband and wife they walk into a house, or or boyfriend girlfriend or whoever they walk in, and all of a sudden, look at the kitchen, and yeah. and, and and you know, you it don't realize. Honestly, pathetic how quickly you talk yourself into this being uh, the perfect 100%. place. And, and look, you had you had two perfect places That's in 24 right. hours. That's exactly. amazing. Well, this is a perfect place. Yeah. We're never going to find it again. Right. Yeah. And and so in your situation, though, um, fortunately, and the best part about this story is that you end up turning around and you have a way out because mm-hmm. it fails the, build, uh, the, the home inspection. And you probably were, I mean, if you threw a dollar value, probably in excess of 100K. Definitely. To, to fix Absolutely. this thing, maybe 200. Yeah. And, and on top of that, you get your deposit back right away because that's well, part. Week, but yeah. yeah, but but that's 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 because they say okay, well the check just cleared. They are, <laughs> exactly. are you know the real estate company has to turn around and reissue a check. Um, but anyways, so you do get your deposit back. Yeah. Ultimately, in the end, what ends up happening is you walk away from a deal. Now, you know, something you and I never did talk about afterwards is, has that house sold? Did you ever go back and find out from the agent? Okay, two things happened. One, um, the the selling agent asked if he could get a copy of the report just to see what the the things were wrong. Of course. But what gets me is that it's still listed. It's still listed for the same amount. And there's there's nowhere for me to comment underneath, be careful, this place is a dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem I have with the system in that somebody else is going to go in and, and God help them if they if they do make the mistake. So a little bit, of, just to give you an idea, a little bit of history on this house has already been formed, though, on the internet. And on the MLS listing, what will happen, unless they did a cancellation relist, it actually shows that a deal fell through on this. And the conditions, because when you turn around your report to the Toronto Real Estate Board, it'll show the conditions of what a house has been sold for. So when you pop up an MLS listing as an agent, it'll say, Sold conditional for financing and inspection. Mm. Okay, so when it when when it comes back on the market, it'll say deal fell through. So DFT, mm-hmm. and if they did not relist it, then it's back on the market with deal fell through, and then all of a sudden they can do a little bit of history on say, oh, it was sold conditional on inspection and financing, but something fell through. So now it's already got a little stigma against it. So that house, so folks, just so you know, I'm not going to give you the address, but there is a house out there for you renovators to fix up. <laughs> and you can come in $200,000 below what it was yeah. selling for. Well, and that was one of the things that the selling agent said. He said, you know, if we take a whack load off the price, would you still be interested? Like, no, well, no, it'd no. It'd be interesting just to find out what that number was, because, you know, here's the thing. To them, you could say it was a hundred grand and they'd say 50. You know, I, I, I was on this week with Jerry Agar and when he bought his house, you know, their building inspection, and folks, when you deal with a building inspector it's not all you know a hundred percent buy hundred percent don't buy right it's That's they fair. will give you a condition report and the idea of getting a condition report is to say look at the windows there's a couple window sills that are gone a couple windows that are shot the roof needs to be replaced in the next three years now mm-hmm. you start being able to quantify the work and the condition of the property and then because you have a condition in your offer you can now go back to the seller and say by the way Here's the report, and we're happy to give it to you. This is what the home inspector is telling us. We need to spend immediately $20,000 on this property. We like the property, but we want you to turn around and adjust the price accordingly. And that's what can happen. Now, in your case, they could have paid you to take the house. That would have been the situation. Mm. But ultimately... I'm, I'm the guy, you're the, you're the construction guy. I'm the guy that doesn't know what the wood's called along the bottom of the carpet. So that's where I am with, with uh, repairs. So, no. yeah, so listen, very you know bad idea. 
Right. So, so when we talk, when we talk about this kind of stuff, Ian, you know, one of the things that I, I want to make sure all our listeners understand is that if you know you're heading into multiple offers, pre-do uh, an inspection. Okay. You know, we've mm. talked about that. Normally there's enough time. You can throw an inspection in there, get it done. Don't trust the seller's inspection report because they, they're, they're, most of those are skimming. Okay. They're not really going in deep. You had, you had an inspector that turned around proved his weight in gold by oh, turning around yeah. and finding you out and getting you out of a deal that obviously would have cost you a lot of money in the future. And sparking this all off was, as we were talking about, the the, the person that decided not, not to go to with the inspection. Yep. Again, and without belaboring it, and we can move on, but somebody should be responsible because, as you said, three people, officials, went through that place, and three people kind of shrugged and said, yeah, it's fine, why not? Well, that's the thing, and I, I think there needs to be... Somebody has to pay the piper, but again... Unfortunately, um, you know, with with this situation with this particular homeowner, it's going to be a long time coming. And if they do get resolution, and it will be kind of epic if it does, you know, if if if, if some of those some of those people have to end up paying, that's going to open up a whole ball of wax because, you know. This isn't the only home that this situation happens, no, okay? There's, fair. you know, if there's one, there's yeah. a thousand. And when you think about the time frame of when this was built, this house was built in 2002. Between 2000 and 2006, there was a lot of homes built, okay? And when you look at it, how many more are suffering from the same situation? It's funny that uh, the problem is accountability, accountability on the inspectors. But as we were listening to Alex earlier in the show, accountability that if some guy does come in or a person comes in and does a home inspection and completely muffs it up, they should be held responsible. I mean, there should be a, a, and, a something that you can look up. And I agree. And, you know, what ends up happening, they show up, they, they don't, you don't. Uh, most people don't read the home inspector's contract before they meet them at the home. What they do is they pick up the phone, yeah. they go, they Google, they see, oh, well, he's on the top area of the word ads, so he must be great. So I'll turn around, I'll call him. They turn around, they meet them at the house. The guy whips out the paperwork. Yeah, sign here, press hard, and what's your credit card? Hmm. Um, you know, and and so when they do that, they, they're they kind of setting themselves up to, to be at the mercy of the actual home inspector of his rules and regulations on his documentation. Now, again, listen, there are some decent home inspectors out there. Yes. As we have, as, you know, notably absolutely. said, there's some yeah. decent realtors out there. And heck, there's even some some good radio hosts out there. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we digress, but that's all right. We have to take a wee break. And when we come back, uh, what do you want to talk about? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll finish off talking about offers just for, for a minute. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some real estate investment. He is Totsy Slater. He is the host of Simply Real Estate. He's also founder and president of The Simple Investor. You can reach him at 905-812-2524 or his website, thesimpleinvestor.com. I'm Ian Grant, and this is In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. He is host of Simply Real Estate. He is founder and president of The Simple Investor, Todd C. Slater. You can reach him at 905-812-2524. Website is thesimpleinvestor.com, and that's where you can go for all the contact information to reach him if I'm saying the phone number too fast and stuff like that. You wanted to talk about interest rates, Todd. I did because, you know, Ian, this this part of the summer, and by the way, you know, we it's been interesting this summer because a lot of people think that tenants go on vacation just as they do. Mm. Um, and when you take a look at investment real estate, it's been a very, very strong avenue for people, um, you know, 
this summer, all year, the last five years, you know, I'd have to say that, and, and I'm not talking about the huge price increases, because you know what, as you know, I don't believe in, in the metro market, more or less, because I struggle with the fact that, you know, seven, eight, nine percent increases, because I don't think it's sustainable. But what I do like about what's happening are, of course, are the interest rates right now for people to be able to get into. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when the Bank of Canada dropped it, and, you know, we're sitting at, you know, 0.5, and we're seeing money is between two, two and a half, 2.8% on mortgages. We've got some pretty affordable prices. Now, a lot of people are screaming, saying, yes, but the wrong people are going into the market. Well, what's happening is, is that means that when, when we talk about the, the wrong people going into a market, we're talking about the people that are probably overbuying for their own personal use. Mm. But when we talk about investment real estate, that's a completely different animal. Because right now, what it's doing is it's increasing people's cash flow. So by focusing on the debt payment, and you know, as you know, and, and as I would imagine all our listeners know after all these years, everybody typically comes up with 20% down when you buy an investment property. Now, when we have lower cost of money, it just means that you're going to get a little bit stronger positive cash flow. It also brings into some properties that, you know, were kind of on the fence, but now they were on the fence, but now they are actually make sense. Yep. So what we've done is we start breaking down the numbers. And one of the important things that I pe- think that people have to understand is, and, and again, for investors, if you're going to be a hands-off investor, and of course, we can talk about that in a minute, but if you're going to be a hands-off investor, one of the things I really like is the fact that I think people should lock into five-year mortgages. Now, again, for those people that love variable, I agree, I do variables, but you know what? That's if you're going to keep your hand on the pulse mm-hmm. of mortgage rates. If you want to forget it, so you buy it and forget it, then go five-year fixed. Well, five years from now, and you and I have talked about this, when you deal with amortization, so the length of the time to pay off a mortgage, in five years, 15% of that mortgage will be reduced. Now, a lot of people are sitting there saying, okay, so I'm paying down a mortgage. Well, what it means, and, and, and again, you know, there's always the doomsayers that say, well, what happens if interest rates go up? Look, they're not going to stay low forever. But if your debt has gone down, down yeah. substantially, and when you increase your positive cash flow, that means you should be applying it against the debt. So what if you turn around and take 20, 25% of that mortgage down in the next five years? You go to renew, you're renewing at 75% of the value five years later, you can actually handle a fairly substantial increase in the actual mortgage payment and still have positive cash flow. Mm. It's all based on calculations. It's very easy to do. Now, again, you, you, you've you always mentioned, you know, folks, you can always pick up the phone, call me, you can come and see me in the office. You don't always have to go to one of our seminars. But today, okay, here we are, it's August, you know, we're looking at the dates and we're saying, okay, you know, what can we do? You can still turn around and buy investment properties. It doesn't matter if you buy them in August, September, October, November, very, very, December, yeah. January. It does not matter because every single time you end up buying an investment property and you've got the tenant paying down your debt, it happens every single month. <laughs> your your mortgage goes down. Just take a look at your bank statement on your mortgage. You'll watch it get smaller and smaller and smaller. I love looking at that. I, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, every time I make mortgage payments, I, I love going online and I kind of look and I go, yeah, Ooh, I owe less money. Guess what? I have more equity. You know, that is what people need to focus on. Stop with this whole, well, the sky's going to fall in five years. Well, Listen, if mortgage rates go up two years from now and you've got a five-year mortgage, you've got another three years on top of that to get the mortgage to be paid down more, which happens when you've selected the right property. And selecting the right property is key. 
Don't talk act about like a speculator. That for a sec. Don't don't brush over that. Well, that is okay, very important. Well, it is because you know one of the things that I think people have to understand is that they need to take the emotion out of it. They need to take the fact of what they're looking for and to stop placing yourself in the investment property. Well what done. you need to do is turn around and act like an accountant. Okay, be a bean counter. Pull out your actual calculator and say, okay, well this one makes sense because I have positive cash flow. Mm -hmm. I don't have to put too much money out. My rate of return is good. You know, it's interesting, Ian, because I've got some investors that they have they have lines of credit, and what they do is they use their down they use their lines of credit to get their down payment. And by the time they do their calculations, because right now you know if they're using the line of credit, it's three percent interest. So they take twenty thousand dollars out of their line of credit. They they're paying three percent on that money. Then they turn around and then they take a regular standard mortgage, eighty percent of the value, and they close on a property, an investment property. And this is in our model. And then they turn around and they do the calculation backwards, and they say to me, Todd. Here's what we're getting. The mortgage is paying down at this rate, which based on the money I borrowed, I'm getting a 12% return just on my mortgage pay down. Hmm. I pay 3% for that money. My actual net is 9% return and it's, and it's all borrowed leveraged money. Wow. Now, a lot of people are saying they're saying, yeah, but it's leveraged money, it's leveraged money. No, it's just equity exchange. When you pull, if you pull off your, your line of credit off your home, you're actually getting better growth than just leaving the money in your home. Because if you use real estate as the avenue, sure. you're getting the mortgage pay down. And even if values stay fairly stagnant, maybe they go up 1% or 2% and you get a little bit of positive cash flow, your rate of return on that money is 15 to 20% even after paying the 3%. That's incredible. Okay, And when people look at the numbers and you analyze it, you have to understand why leverage is so important to investment real estate. Now, this is one of the things, of course, we like to teach in our seminars, which, as you know, we've got one coming up September 24th, which mm -hmm. is a Thursday. And, you know, we're not, I'm, I'm not doing an infomercial here because we never do. As you know, I got nothing to sell there. You leave your credit cards at home. Ultimately, in the end, it's just making people understand the simplicity of the numbers of investment mm -hmm. real estate. You know, you keep asking me to, you know, talk more about what we do. The most important thing that I think people have to understand in buying investment real estate is, first of all, understanding tenants. If you don't understand and won't put the time into understanding how to be a landlord, then go to a company that will. Now, our company does that. Okay, We can provide you with good cash flowing investment real estate and we do all the tenant management. If the tenant doesn't pay, it's our job to go after them to get it paid you still get your rent because we are your tenant. Hmm. So when you buy a unit out of one of our developments, we are your tenant, and then we take care of the existing tenant there. We take care of the unit, meaning if the toilet doesn't uh, doesn't work, we take care of that. If the fridge doesn't work, we take care of that. Everything is done for you. You do nothing because we are your tenant. Now, the biggest thing about investment real estate where people struggle is, of course, our tenants. Who makes the best tenant? Well, it's not that it's not that much of a secret. You know, you go to the mature tenancies, you focus on the people that are going to pay, understand how to pay, right. you know. So what makes the best property? Well, one that cash flows. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because I always hear all these I always hear all these comments about, you know, location, location, location. Right. But it's not location, location, no. location. It's cash flow. Okay. If you're negative cash flow, bad. Positive cash flow, good. I mean, it's really, you know, it really is that straight. Sun comes up, sun yeah. goes down. Okay. Cash flow positive, po cash flow negative. Which one's a good investment? It's not that hard. And that's one of the things I think people have to understand. You can actually turn around and buy very affordable. And 
you know, I, I again, I, 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 as I, I caution because I don't like people thinking that we do the infomercial thing. But you know what? We have right now, Ian, between two developments of over 300 units, we've just we're just releasing our last seven in total. I have three uh, one-bedroom units that are 89.9. And I have oh I have four one bedroom townhomes that are one ten, and so we have these we have these seven units that are going. They all positive cash flow, they all have existing tenancies, but we are your tenant, so we take care of everything. So everything is done. You can close in thirty days, and you have an active investment property with guaranteed rent. Wow. So. You know, it's not that difficult, but it's there. It's existing. It's happening right this second. And when we turn around and do these developments, what we do is, you know, we make sure that, you know, our investor base get so many and then we keep some. So mm-hmm. we are investors along with our investor group. Nice. Okay. It's really important because, you know what, we have skin in the game. This is about us as well. We build the portfolios because we're building it for everybody's future as well as our own. So this is the thing. If you're looking for investment properties, you... I would have to say there's never been a better time. And, you know, I've said this before, and I'm going to reiterate it because I have to. The one most important thing that people have to understand is somebody has to live somewhere always, and real estate is technology proof, meaning that a roof over your head is a roof. Now, in some people's cases, they have mold because we know that without inspections, but ultimately in the end, the most important thing I need to, to make sure our listeners understand is you know what, you can buy investment real estate and 20 years from now, it still has value. It's not, you know, those newfangled watches. We're not going to beam up to the moon. Ultimately, in the end, a roof over your head is what everybody requires. Absolutely. As you said, the seminar is coming up Thursday, September 24th, 7 o'clock. It's at the Mississauga Convention Center. And uh, as you said, also, if people can't make that seminar, that shouldn't stand in the way. No, not at all. You know, I've been meeting all summer with people that have been coming to see us. They come to our office. You know, uh, we hang out, have a cappuccino, have a chat. Um, you know, we're, we're located in Streetsville in Mississauga. Um, you know, we've got our we've got an old building there that, we, that we've turned into our office. And, you know, the wonderful thing is, is that, you know, most people will find this about when, when, when you deal with us is that it's not a pressure situation. Look, we're just going to tell, tell you what we do and you can tell us what you want to achieve. And the most important thing is, you know, everybody should have a diverse part portfolio. They really should. There needs to be diversity there. If you don't own investment real estate, when you come to, when it comes down to retiring, you know, this is the one thing that people don't realize. RRSPs, first of all, as you and I both know, it's all taxable income, okay? And that's normally a declining asset because yeah, you have to absolutely. keep taking from it. Yeah. When you take a look at real estate, it's a cash generator and it will continue to pay itself down. You can pull money back off it and then it'll pay itself down again. So it's a constant recuperation system of money and equity for yourself. That's the best thing <laughs> about incredible. real estate. Yeah. And, you know, I know you do a lot of, you, you do a lot of different shows, financial shows and business shows. And the one thing that I've noticed with the consistency is that when people are looking for security, they need consistency. I agree. And real estate has is probably the most consistent avenue. When you have somebody else paying down your debt that's consistency. <laughs> that's, that's very. I can't, I, you that's know, I can't brilliant. emphasize that enough, Ian. Yeah, but it, it is. I just can't emphasize yeah. it enough. I wish I could. But folks, somebody else is paying down your debt. That's the brilliance of investment real estate. It really is. We're out of time. 
Todd, thank you so much. Well, it's always great. Yeah, it was a great show. As uh, we said, Todd has also offered, if you can't make this seminar, if you if you want to give him a call, please do. Uh, his number is 905-812-2524, or you can send him an email. You can find his contact information at thesimpleinvestor.com. That seminar is coming up, though, and you should try and attend if you possibly can. Thursday, September the 24th, 7 o'clock at the Mississauga Convention Center. And again, you can get the contact information at the simple investor.com. I'm Ian Grant. This is In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010.